Okay, what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be picking up um, our series in Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, you could turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We started this uh, last year. We've been working way through the entire book. We're almost at the end. We're getting there. We'll hopefully wrap it up um, this term. And by way of a recap... Um, on the book of Ephesians. Let me just bring you up to speed. Um, The book um, Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, um, it's six chapters and it can be neatly kind of split in half. Chapters 1, 2 and 3 are many doctrinal things, uh, teachings, things we should understand, things we have to grasp kind of with our mind, things God has done. Paul outlined the whole kind of plan of salvation in there and how that applies to us. Um, as people, how God has um, reconciled man to himself, firstly, by um, Jesus' death on the cross in our place for our sins, and how he's also reconciled mankind to one another. It's, uh, Paul said that there is now one new man in Christ, that all the old barriers, the racial, ethnic, uh, political, sociological barriers have been broken down, and in Christ we all stand together as one man before him alone. Now, the second half of the book of the Ephesians, which we are in, um, the, the emphasis shifts from kind of doctrinal to actually practical. It's almost kind of, in light of what I've just said, Paul's saying, what does that mean for you in your life? In light of all the things that God has done, this plan that he has, the purpose for the church to proclaim this mystery, what does it mean for us as Christians? And um, the summary kind of verse for the, the whole back end of the book of Ephesians can be found in chapter 4, um, verse 1, where it just simply says... Um, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul talking, urge you, that's the church, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So he's basically saying, all this has happened to you, I want you now to live in light of that. You've been called by God into these great things that I've outlined for three chapters. Live in light of that. And we started to go through chapter 4. And one of the things we looked at, first thing there was, he talked about diversity leads to maturity. The church is very different. There's lots of different people in there. And that diversity, lots of giftings. And that then actually brings us to maturity as a church. It's not all vanilla in the church. We're not all the same. We shouldn't all look the same, talk the same. We're not all gifted and wired the same. But actually that diversity we have brings a maturity to us. If you find a church where everyone is the same kind of age, looks the same, speaks the same, Um, it's not getting what God had for us in its fullness. We need to have a diversity among us. And then he goes on to talk about, he uses the picture of um, new clothes. He basically says, the new life in Christ that you have received as a church is like putting on a new set of clothes. This morning, I imagine you all got up and you got out of bed and then at some point you went through the getting dressed phase where you shed, you put your nightwear, your jamas, and you put on what you're wearing now. I don't imagine any of you wore what you're wearing now in bed last night. But, so we've all changed. We've all put on a new set of clothes. And he's saying, being in Christ is like that. You've got a brand new set of clothes, only it's actually more profound and deeper than simply a garment that you wear. You have been transformed. And Paul is now saying, live in the light of that. You've been transformed, you have a new set of clothes, and these new sets of clothes then mean you should live a different way, and that's the big idea of what we're going to be looking at. You've got a new set of clothes, we looked at that in the last passage, now because of that, you should live differently as a result, you should live in light of that. You've put on a new set of clothes, now live in a different way. And I'm going to read uh, chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 25, 
and uh, just read to the beginning of uh, chapter 5. Okay, it says, Therefore, that's in light of these new clothes that Paul has said you're wearing. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For me, we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right, so we have the general preceding paragraph is now given way to um, a more, very more specific practical things Paul wants the church to do. It's what do these actually, these new clothes look like? Yes, we put on new clothes in Christ. Okay, what does that actually look like? Paul is being very specific here. And these things, if we're going back to verse 1 that I read about maintain, um, living in a manner worthy of the calling you've received, this is what it looks like. That verse then goes on to say, maintain the unity of the Spirit, which is the unity within the church, within the church fellowship, um, local and wider. Seek to maintain that. And doing these things that Paul has outlined will work towards that. And he, he sets up a kind of pattern in this passage of saying, He says a negative, don't do this. He then kind of says a positive, well, let's do this instead. And then he says at the end of that a kind of why. And the why is the crux. The why is the key because the why gives us the motivation. If there's no motivation and I just sit here and tell you to be nice, be kind, be friendly, don't do this, don't do that, actually what you can get in is to kind of just legalism and laws. It's just like putting a new set of laws on you without actually understanding a motivation which should affect your heart as, uh, as Christ has transformed us and lead us into a new way of living. So the, the motivation behind it is actually key to what he's doing. And then is, the section concludes there at the beginning of chapter 5 with the example, the imitator of Christ, of God being the one that we should look at and we should follow. He's the one who ultimately, you know, when we all, all been said and done, who we want to be like, it's like Jesus. So there are actually six in total, so I'm going to try and go through them quick and then I'll earth it in some practical stuff um, at the end. The first one is speak truth. That's what he says, speak truth. He says, put away falsehood, uh, falsehood. let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbours. They're told to put away lying and instead speak the truth. So lying, the falsehood was the negative, speaking truth is the positive. And he's actually a reference, there's an Old Testament reference there, Zechariah 8, he's just quoting that as actually saying, you know, just bringing the law that we have in the Old Testament right forward into the New Testament. Still obey this. We're to put away falsehood and actually speak to one another truthfully. And you can expand this whole idea of falsehood from lying, flat out lying, but you've also got things like half-truths, white lies, deception, manipulations, false assurance of promises, exaggeration. All those things are actually speaking falsely, ultimately. No matter what the motive behind it is, ultimately he's saying... Don't do that. And he's saying, actually, instead, speak the truth to one another. 
And the reason why is actually, he says, for we are members of one body. The key there actually is that in the church, we've all been brought into Christ, we've been reconciled to God, it said in chapter 2. And at the end of chapter 2, it said we've actually been reconciled to one another, we're now one new man. Paul uses the image in Corinthians, he talks about um, the, the, the body, doesn't he? He says we're all one body, we're all members together. And so if we're lying to one another, speaking falsely to one another, we're only doing it to ourselves, we're damaging ourselves, which is destroying the unity that Christ has made by his death and resurrection with us. So that actually, when we think about how we speak to one another, how we treat one another, actually, it's, um, it's actually just, we're just destroying ourselves. The motivation is actually we're all one body, we're all members, we're all interconnected, whether we like it or not. And that's the reality. This is the church that God has brought together. And he said, I want you to work together. The, the, um, Ephesians has also pointed out that we are full of the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's full of, he's transforming us. And the Holy Spirit is also known as what? The Spirit of Truth. And so actually the very Spirit that is within us is one of truth. And so we we are to speak the truth, Paul is saying, to one another. And um, this was kind of, um, I was praying through this thinking, well, you know, kind of what does this look like um, for us as a church? Do we kind of, I thought, do we actually flat out lie to each other? And I'm thinking, probably not on a general kind of basis. Oh, very nice, I'm very nice. I'm thinking, that's probably not necessarily, although there, there is an application. But I'm also thinking, because we're kind of, many of us are British, we're in a British culture, we can, we can take on cultural norms. And one of the wonderful British cultural norms, which is prevalent everywhere, and we do it reflex, you know, kind of just like a reflex action, is when someone says to you, how are you, what do you say? Fine. It's just, it's just like, it's like, it's like tapping the knee and the, the leg moves. Fine. When actually, you might not be fine. You might be fantastic, or you might be the other end, devastated. And this was highlighted to me uh, not so long ago when I was making some phone calls during the day, and I phoned a church leader who I know, and I gave him a call, and I, I had to ask him about a few things, I had to do a little bit of business, and it, I, I was due to phone him. So I phoned him up, da 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 da. Hello, you know, it's Stuart, hi, and he said, How are you doing? I'm fine, how are you? The reflex came straight back, to which he said, Not well, actually. My dad's just been diagnosed with cancer and um, I'm suffering from chronic back pain which is making leading a church incredibly difficult because I can't stand to preach. I've actually got to spend a lot of my time lying down. You know, I can't even sit. I either sit or lie. I mean, I stand or lie. And suddenly I'm on the phone like, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> no. But it, what it did was it pushed our relationship from a surfacey conversation to something much deeper, to which I then had to say, actually, I'm not fine because X, Y, and Z is going on in my life. And we had an honest, open conversation. And I was just thinking about that for us today, thinking, actually, how often do we reflexively say to one another, fine, when it's not true? Now, it might be true. I mean, you might just say, oh, yeah, I'm just going through the day, it's okay, nothing super, nothing terrible, and it's an all right kind of day. But actually, there are plenty of times when things are going very well and it's good to share, or things are not going so well or going terribly, that it's good to share as well. And so Paul is urging, put away falsehood, and that is one of the falsehoods we kind of carry, and actually speak the truth. Speak the truth to one another. The next one, deal with anger. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity for to the devil. Slightly different order um, for this one. It begins with the positive about being angry, interestingly enough, 
But he says, and do not sin. So first thing to point out, it's okay to be angry. But in your anger, do not sin. Jesus himself was angry with the moneylenders in the temple. I think we read about it at the beginning and the end of the gospel. He, he sees them extorting people in God's house and he's had enough. And he flips over the tables um, and he throws them out, runs them out of the temple. My house will be called a house of prayer for the nations, he said. There is anger in that. Even the way when he, um, he rebukes um, his, uh, Peter, get behind me, Satan. I imagine they're not being said in the most pleasant of tones when he spoke these words out. Even when the disciples fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is facing the ordeal, you know, that he's bearing the wrath of his Father for us and they fall asleep. He's saying, could you not just stay with me and pray? So it's okay. But the key is there, be angry, do not sin. It's a quote from Psalm 4, verse 4. And uh, the way that he talks about it in the verse about dealing with it is putting a a strict time limit. He says, do not let the sun go down your anger. So there is anger, but he's actually saying there should be a time limit to it. This, I guess, is to profess a kind of brooding resentment bubbling away over whatever offence has been received that an individual is angry about. He's saying, actually, you know, deal with it. Put a time limit on it. And the motivation is fascinating. Why? Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give it, a foothold just means a place, an opportunity, an open opening, a chance, somewhere where he can exert his influence. So by being angry and brooding, effectively what you're doing, what we're doing, is actually going into, that, going into sinful behaviour, is actually giving the enemy, the enemy of your soul, an opportunity, a space, an opening into your life. Which when you think about that, that's a pretty good motivation to deal with something. Because actually, you're, you're effectively like going, you're at home, there's a knock on the front door, you open it, it is Satan, the enemy, the accuser, and you say, oh, come, in. come in, have a seat in the lounge. We're just, you know, we're just playing with the kids, etc. And actually, you're giving the enemy a foothold, a place, an opportunity in your life. And simmering resentful anger can do that. It can do that. It causes strife, it causes uh, division, um, and it ultimately destroys, because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to destroy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy the church. He hates you. And so by not dealing with anger, he is, you're giving him a foothold. And he's saying, this can be managed by dealing with it speedily. The sun going down is the end of the day. So kind of, for us, I guess, imagine it would be kind of like going to bedtime or something towards the end of the day. Deal with it as you can. Um, and for me, I've had to... Um, kind of uh, deal with this um, in kind of getting the church started and uh, I've actually had to deal with being cross more than I ever thought I would, uh, particularly over the whole issue of having a venue to meet. We had uh, numerous times in the, um, the girls' school we met previously where I was phoned up. Uh, we have Friday as a day off as a family, Friday as a day off. I got phoned up on a Friday by the school saying, you cannot have the venue for Sunday. So I'm like, so seriously, you're giving me a call now halfway through my day, to say I can't have a venue for Sunday, so I've got 24 hours a bit more notice to try and source an alternative venue, and, you know, tough, you can't have it, even though we've booked it. And so, for me, the anger in me rose. It's like, how hard is it to hire a venue and just have it regularly, week by week? I mean, it's not... So, I, I'm still... I have dealt with it. I'm fine. Um, 
But it's just for me, it's just actually just thinking, how am I going to deal with that? I've got to process this anger. And I don't know what you're like. When it comes to anger, are you an exploder? If something tips you off, do you just... <laughs> and everyone knows about it. Or are you, are you a kind of a, a stewer where instead of it going out, it goes in and it, you just seethe quietly. And everyone knows you're angry, but are you, I'm fine. I'm fine, everything's fine, but inside you're just a volcano, kind of all that sort of bubbling away. I tend towards stew, um, just so you know. But actually the point is saying, deal with your anger. That's what the Bible is saying, it's saying because it gives the enemy a foothold. All right, let's keep going. Um, next one, um, number three, share with those in need. Verse 28, let uh, the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour doing honest work with his own hands so that he may, he may have something to share with anyone in need. And this returns to the kind of more standard pattern, negative, positive, and then a motivation. Okay, do not steal. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Paul is reiterating it there. The, um, he's, what, what, I, what the commentators seem to think he's getting at there is... Um, uh, in Ephesus at the time, there had possibly been a lot of day labourers who would literally get paid by the day, and they would work all day with their hands. He talks about working with their hands, and kind of they would um, get paid at the end of the day if they had given work, and it was kind of a day-by-day job. And obviously, many of them would have got saved, come into the church, and he's saying, actually, because of that, he says, do not resort to stealing, to, because, you know, I think, where's my money coming from? I'll just steal. Rather, actually, work hard, um, with your hands and stay away from the stealing. And he's saying that your, maybe your old lifestyle where you did that is now inconsistent with this new lifestyle that you've been brought to in Christ, this new kind of clothes that you've got to wear. Um, to wear. And Paul himself, interestingly, was an example. Paul um, had a trade. He was a tent maker. If you read the story of Acts, there's times when he was going to start churches in places and he would work um, as, at a, we, we would, in the modern parlance, you might call it a secular job, not a church job, but actually he did an ordinary day's job to provide income um, so he wouldn't be a burden, but then he then was also starting the church. He's actually saying, work hard with your hands and don't steal, kind of to shortcut that. And he's, he's saying, um, when he talks about work, he's actually saying work um, to the point of weariness, actually. He's actually saying work hard in what you do. It's not a case of you know, working easy and expecting everything to come for you. Work is hard and you are required to put uh, that work in. And the reason why, interestingly, is so that not so you can have something for yourself, which you'd imagine being, being the argument. Why should you work hard? Well, I'm, I've got what I need. I'm provided. He actually says, so that you can share with anyone in need, which is fascinating. So actually, we think about our jobs, our works, whatever you kind of do, particularly if it's a paid income and you, you, you gain resources from what you do, money. He actually saying, you don't work. Your motivation isn't just to work for you terms of you can pay the mortgage, pay the bills, it actually says there, so that you can share with anybody in need. Which I kind of read that and thought, wasn't expecting that. Um, actually, you can share with um, anybody in need, actually. We are, and, and it, it basically sets up a lifestyle that is in contrast with the old way of life. Setting up a lifestyle where actually our motivation isn't just for us, isn't just for ourselves, isn't just for consuming 
what we gain on ourselves, a very selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, actually saying, you live in a new life, a new lifestyle, and actually there is an other-focused dynamic to what you are to do. And actually we earn and we, 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 we produce ourselves to share with one another, to share with those who are in need. In a kind of a very sort of silly sense, we were um, in, need today, in need today. Our car has gone into the garage. Uh, we don't have one with us today. We couldn't get to church this morning. Um, four people, uh, two adults, two children, and a bunch of stuff that we had to get here. And there was a sense of, well, it's a really long walk, um, and we've got to carry a lot of stuff, um, so I'm in need. So I made some phone calls. Phil and Wendy came to the rescue, picked us up, and all our stuff. My wife and my children, everything in the car got us here. Very simply sharing with those in need. And there are wider things we can do, actually. When we had um, um, Asher back in February... We had a new child in the house, everything kind of changed, and we were provided meals for kind of for a week where people just turned up and gave of their abundance and gave us dinner, which I encourage. You know, I like that. Um, <laughs> it was wonderful having people turn up and give us food. But it was, people were sharing with us. Our need was kind of, we've got a new child we're trying to kind of deal with, and actually, let's take food off the table and we'll just give it to you and you don't have to worry about making it in need. Um, and... I just, we, are, we are to be the people who share with those in need. And the needs are varied and diverse. And I just encourage us, let's be that kind of church. Number four, let's move on. Build one another up, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may grace those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed with the day of redemption. Okay, this actually comes back to the topic of speech. We've talked about um, particularly lying, falsehood, it said. But this comes back to the same sort of area of what comes out of our mouth, which points to the fact that what comes out of our mouth is a big deal. In fact, that Paul's now brought it up um, again. And he's actually saying, it's kind of sandwiched between, he's just talked about what you do with your hands. Let's be positive with what we do with our hands, but also let's be positive with what we do with our mouths as well. And we are to keep ourselves from lying, falsehood he's talking, but actually he said, he's actually now broadened it to um, a wider list of what comes out around. He talks about corrupting talk, abusive language, swearing, slander, sexual innuendo, dirty jokes, gossiping, belittling someone, sarcasm. All these things come out of our mouths. And Boy is saying actually corrupting talk, damaging talk, is saying actually shouldn't come out of your mouth because actually when you're talking about the church, you, you, if, you, if you, that is coming out of your mouth, you're just damaging God's people because that's, what, that's the context he's talking to. He's talking about the church, and it has a wider application, but actually he's saying don't let the corrupting talk and come and attack and damage fellow um, believers. Actually, he says instead, he says, actually say what's beneficial, what's for good and building up and fits the occasion. Cr- constructive, positive, building, encouraging things should be what's coming out of our mouth. Words of comfort and hope and encouragement should be what we are known at. And the result is that God's grace will be on those who hear. We often, like, you know, we were talking about God's grace, we often pray for people when we're praying, we pray God's grace be on them. But actually just our words in conversation can be vehicles for God's grace. Just the way we speak to people, the way we talk to them, the way we uh, interact with them. And the why there at the end is, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed with um, the day uh, for the day of redemption. It, this corrupting talk is especially damaging to God. 
Because if you're damaging one another, we're all full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who kind of unifies the church. It said in verse 3, the unity of the Spirit, which means that if we are attacking and damaging one another, it's actually the Holy Spirit in us who is being grieved because this unity that he is maintaining, because we're all believers and we're all together, is being attacked by corrupting talk, by this damaging talk. And what this is uh, kind of referring back to, when you read this, is actually um, back in Isaiah 63, um, where it talks about um, the Spirit of God being on on the people of God. And basically the point of it was that... um, When God called the people out of Egypt, he had a people for himself. We have the Exodus. They come out. He now goes, you are my people. I will be your God. And he visits them, first on the mountain with Moses, um, gives him the law, and then they, they build the tabernacle, with a kind of portable temple, where the Spirit of God dwells, in his pe- dwells amongst his people. So we have the Spirit of God there. This then obviously is transferred to the temple, which is first built by Solomon, and the Spirit of God falls there, the dedication of the temple. And the Spirit of God is, uh, is the manifest presence of God amongst his people. We then move towards the New Testament, and we actually have the Spirit of God is now in us as a people. So it's, it's always been God's plan for the Spirit to be in his people, his presence to be there by his Spirit amongst in his people. He's saying, actually, you are damaging that by the way we speak to one another, and you are grieving God. It's not something we often talk about, God being majestic, high, um, we worship him, we talk about loving and transforming in our, in our lives. We don't often talk about the dynamic where actually we can be grieving him by our actions and our heart. And this is very clearly what Paul is saying. The way you speak to one another can damage you. Damage, it grieves God and it damages us. It damages our one another. What comes out of our mouth? And it's it's up to us to be positive and building and encouraging in there. And another interesting cultural thing for us um, in this kind of Western culture is the whole prevalence of sarcasm. Sarcasm is just there. It's kind of part of how we interact with one another. And ironically, the better you know someone, the more likely you're to be sarcastic with them. It's just, if you're a total stranger, you're not usually like that with them. However, your friends and your family, you get to know people, the more likely is you to be rude and sarcastic to them. That's just the way it is. And it, it, I think it is directly counter to what the Bible would have. It says in, I'm trying to remember, I think it's Hebrews, where it talks about outdo one another in giving honour. It's kind of the opposite. As you're saying, don't pull people down, but actually honour them, build them up, encourage them. And it actually says, outdo one another. The Olympics, competition, is competition good? Well, the Bible says you can outdo each other in giving honour. Do we have gold medalists in honour giving here who will speak encouraging words to one another um, and honour you and encourage you and build you up? Um, In our previous church, there were definitely a couple of ladies who I knew excelled in this. Do you know what I used used to do? Because it's always nice being built up. Who likes being built up here? I love being built up. And so what I used to do, these two ladies, they were, one was called Carrie and one was called Jenny. And I would, you know, you're on a Sunday and you, you know, you're getting busy and stuff. And I thought, I need to go and talk to Carrie and Jenny. 
And I kind of side low, how you doing, how you doing? By the end of the conversation, I was ten foot tall because they were just those kind of people and they loved on you right there in front of you. And then I, I could go in, almost you go and get a top up, I think. And then you can go back to all the stress and everything else you're trying to deal with. And I, I, even as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, outdo one another in giving honour. They outdid me, hands down because they would just they'd kind of grasp something. And what I'd love as us as a church is to build that culture where we, we, um, we honour one another with our speech. We build one another up. And I know I am terrible when it comes to sar- sarcasm. I think it, it always makes me laugh when I see it on the telly and I always laugh, why am I laughing? You know, why am I laughing at that? Because actually that's not healthy. And I recognise the flaws in my own life. But I'd love us to build um, a culture of honour here. James 2 says the tongue is powerful which means it can destroy or it can build and honour and glorify God. You can say words to people that just make them grow right in front of you or you can say words that just cut them in half and they will fall apart right in front of you. Let's build one another up. Number five, forgive as you have been forgiven. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, this actually interesting returns to the, to the, um, the topic of anger. And it's, there's the negative, the positive, and then the motivator um, at the end. It talks about, um, in that verse, little bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamour. Um, bitterness being that, that resentment that comes up. Um, a clamour is kind of a loud cry, a shout, a speaking Um, bad words about people, gossip, defamation of character. It talks about um, uh, slander, which is kind of abusive speech, blasphemy, lies, um, and with malice. Malice means the intent is to damage and hurt. Um, And we know there have all been times in our lives when we've spoken words like that with our intent to destroy the hearer. Um, And he's saying, actually, you put that away from you because that destroys the body. It destroys people, it destroys uh, one another. I don't know if you've ever, if you can remember situations in your life where people have spoken words to you and you can still remember them because the sting is still kind of what they've said to you sort of still hurts, you know, sometimes. Or you can remember things like that. And actually that's the point of saying put that away from you because it's, it's destructive what comes out of it. And the contrast to that is actually, is actually um, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So actually the opposite is our compassionate heart, our tenderness to one another, and the key there is forgiveness. We are to forgive one another. Why do we forgive one another? Because God in Christ forgave us. And I don't know about you, but I could list people's sins against me in minutiae. I could tell you times and dates and people have been mean to me. And all these things, and I could get very self-righteous about it. But, but actually, compared to actually my sins for God, which are infinitely greater to a perfect holy being who created me, and he forgave me. I think about Christ on the cross dying there, perfect, sinless, um, suffering the wrath of his Father, which I deserve, going willingly and gladly, knowing what it would lead to, us, the church. And one of the, I think the Gospels report something like seven words from the cross that Christ speaks. One of them is, Father, 
forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you just think, seriously? I was Jesus, it would be die. Die, 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 die. <laughs> and then I'd get off the cross and yeah, it would be it would be it would be a lot more dramatic. But but that is the model of Christ. And when you, we kind of lay it up like that, actually, actually our what God is speaking to us about is actually we are to be a forgiving people. We are to be people who seek rec- reconciliation. As Christ has forgiven us, we are to forgive those who trespassed against us, um, the Lord's Prayer says. We are to deal with conflict quickly and actually deal with her, which it links back to the anger thing because anger can usually use to bitterness. There's usually forgiveness involved. And actually he says there's a, there's a limit, the sun. There's a limit there. So we... We've got to go and talk to people. And the key, actually, is, is actually going to speak to someone and seek reconciliation. In my experience of um, pastoral ministry, which I don't know how long now, eight, nine years, the, the key for me would be if people just went and spoke to the person, the amount of pastoral issues that would be dealt with, solved, would be huge. It's amazing what you can trace it back to. And people sometimes talk to you about X, Y, and Z's happen in the church. Someone did this, someone did this, and you're in a kind of leading position in life. And you ask the question, I always ask the question, have you gone and spoken to them? And the answer is 99.9% of the time, no. So then the question is, why are you speaking to me? Because Jesus says very clearly, you go and talk to them. Now, Jesus also says, if that doesn't work, you can get someone to come and kind of help and mediate, and that's fine too. But actually going to speak to someone about things. And it's amazing what can be diffused and dealt with quickly if you just make that contact and go and speak to them. So we are a forgiven people and we in turn are to be forgiving one another. Last bit, the conclusion. Follow the model of Jesus. Follow the model of Jesus. Verse, two, uh, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It kind of summarizes um, what's gone before. We've got lots of kind of practical this, 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 and that. And, you know, how does it come together? Imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. Paul actually says at, um, at points, actually imitate him in the church. This is one that kind of as a leader, as the apostle. Why imitate me in what I'm doing? But here he actually points to Jesus, the ultimate example. Imitate him. Do what... He, look at what he was like and copy that. And he talks about them as uh, beloved children. Little children, look at Christ. Look at him, you're loved, you're part of the family. He's already kind of laid that out in chapters 1, 2, 3. Our position in Christ is secure. He says, as a result of that, follow Christ, do what he does. Um, children copy parents. I'm learning that to my horror um, now at home that children start, uh, children start as sponges and then become parrots. Okay, and Levi, two and a half, the, the things he is saying and doing, where it's like, who, who, where did, where did you get that? And I'm thinking, okay, that was from me. Most of the time it's from his mother, and I'm like, okay, no. Um, they, they, imitate, they imitate you, so you can either put, you can, if you play a good example, they'll imitate a good example, if they, you show a bad one. But the point is, we are children, and we're to imitate someone. We're imi- it's imi- imitate Christ, walk in love, Walking love, that should be our over, overriding kind of attitude, thinking, behaviour, reflecting God loves. It requires activity to walk. It's not a passive thing, it's something we, we pursue. But the, the ground on which we stand, it says at the end there, is Christ's death and resurrection. 
ultimately, all these things, it's interesting Paul's saying, kind of do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, here's the motivators, do it because of these reasons, blah, 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 blah. But actually, right at the end, he sits there and says, the ground on which you stand is Christ's death and resurrection. His fragrant offering, which he's given up for us. And so whatever happens at the end of the day, you stand secure in Christ. Ephesians says we are holy and blameless. It says we've been predestined before the foundation of the world to be adopted as children. These are things that have happened to us. We have a Father in heaven. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been set free, sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are part of the church, one people in Christ. And all these things are ours because God has given them to us. And so that's the foundation on which we stand. So as we walk in love, we're not trying to earn something, we're trying to live out something we have received. The love of God in us, the Spirit of God in us, is something that we are living out of. And so it's not something that's kind of, I must, I must, I must. It's actually, I can, I can, I can, because the Spirit of God's in us. And we can be like this, because the grace of God uh, works in our lives. Um, our purpose over there kind of sums it up as a church. We believe real life is having a relationship with Jesus, following the example of Jesus, and then changing our world with Jesus. It all begins with relationship. all begins with knowing God, who we are in God, what he's done for us. Then out of that, we follow a model because he's empowered us. And then as we live out that model... Our worlds are changed because the Spirit of God is at work in people's lives. And so as, as we kind of, I want to just finish with looking at some very practical, how are we going to outwork some of these things? But I don't want us to forget that what we're standing on is the grace of God, the grace and love of God. Because to do these things on our own strength, newsflash, you can't do them. You need God's heart and God's love in your lives. Okay, a little bit of homework um, to finish this. That first one, number one, uh, the speak the truth. I challenge you this week that when people ask you how you're doing, you don't answer, fine. You find an alternative. Even if you think, I'm actually feeling fine, find an alternative word. You know, a thesaurus might help. But, you know, just find a word. And if you're feeling good or brilliant or, you know, know, whatever, say that. And if you're thinking, actually, I'm a bit low because of X, Y, Z, say that as well. But let's be people who speak the truth in that area. Um, Second one, deal with anger. Now, even as we've been speaking about this, the Holy Spirit um, will be working in our hearts. And so if there's something in your mind that you're thinking, you're trying not to think about, the Holy Spirit keeps saying, think about this, think about this, there's obviously something that needs to be dealt with. Um, It might be uh, a person or a situation that you're angry about, and I encourage you to deal with it. How do you do that? First one, you need to own it. I am angry about X, Y, Z, whatever it was. For me, I was angry that we got let down in our venue again, you know, and my wife bore the brunt of this. But you have to own that. You need to talk to God about it and actually own it before him. Own it yourself, own it before God. I'm angry about this. This is the situation. Talk to him. Read some of the Psalms. I imagine David being pretty angry in some of them, you know, when he's kind of, uh, where are you, God, sort of, attitude and that's okay and then you need to talk to them whomever they may be now that might not be easy depending on what it was situation some things are kind of small some things are an awful lot bigger but actually you need to talk to them so if they're in that situation you need to go and talk to them number three share with those in need um 
we, um, as a church, we, we feel very strongly that we want to kind of serve uh, the poor, the needy um, amongst us, that obviously with, with us as a church, but also those outside of us. And so um, I just some of the things that we've done as a family, which I just want to lay before you to consider, is as a church, we're working out what that actually means, being in this town, being in this place. We don't have a specific at this point. But for Melanie and I, we've sponsored a child through Compassion uh, for as long as we've been married, pretty much. So that's nine and 12 years now. Compassion organization, uh, we sponsor a little girl called Jennifer in, over in East Africa, and we pay a little bit a month, which pays for a schooling. Her food is staggering what a little bit a month buys in her life. She writes letters, we write them back. And it's just a way that from our plenty, we serve someone in need who has very little. And that's a kind of an external out there thing. But actually, it's an expression in our life that actually we have been given to share. Yes, we, we spend most of it on ourselves to pay the bills, but we, we, we also allocate stuff for outgoing. Um, and as a general in life, let's be um, a sharing people, looking for needs, willing to meet them. And they can be the smallest needs, like giving someone a lift. We need a lift to church this morning. How small was that? But actually, we were in need and we got it. Um, but actually, let's be a people who care for those in need. Build one another up. Um, specifically encouraging and speaking good things to each other. Okay, so I challenge you this week, instead of being, every time you have the urge to be sarcastic. Now, for some of you, this will be harder than others, and I appreciate it will be very hard for me. Um, but actually, when you want to be sarcastic, I, I call it funny. That's how, I, that's how I justify it to myself. I'm funny. But actually, let's be honest, sometimes I'm not that funny. Um, actually, let's seek to build one up and say something positive and encouraging. I'm always reminded of the episode of Friends. Anyone seen Friends? There's a character in Friends called Chandler who has a tendency a lot of the time to be sarcastic. And there's one episode where he, the, the other friends in the game challenge him to go for one day without being sarcastic. And he just struggles because Ross, one of the other characters, turns up with leather trousers on and you can see him fighting not to say anything rude to him and the irony thing is he couldn't even last a day he just explodes at the end because he just can't cope with it um, but we are people with the spirit of God in our lives and I challenge you let's, let's how about this week every time and I bet there are environments that will be harder than others the workplace might be one when you go and you have a lot of banter you're thinking yeah. but I challenge you let's look to build one another up build one another up here um, and uh, yeah be encouraging and the last one Forgive, forgive as you have been forgiven, forgive uh, one another. Now this one can be big or small depending on what it is. You might have faced things when actually forgiving that individual or that situation is, is just it's massive. Or it might be a, a relatively small offence. Okay? The process is similar, um, but I, I understand that the outworking of this can be much more difficult depending on who... Um, where, where the forgiveness needs to go. And I found usually the people closer to you, it's sometimes harder to forgive because or people with closer relationship because they have the potential to damage you more. If Melanie's rude to me, it's much worse than if a stranger in the street is rude to me because of the closeness of our relationship. Um, and I, I don't want to be trite about this, but I still want to say the Bible says we are to be we are to pursue this by his grace. So if you're in this position, first thing you need is you need to own it. You need to own it. You need to be aware. I need to forgive them. Or I hold unforgiveness towards them. Or even if it's linked with anger, I'm angry about them and this situation, what they did, what they said, how they acted. The next thing, 
is you need to seek some way to be able to talk to them. You need to talk to God and you need to be able to talk to them and seek reconciliation. Then as part of that process, talking with the individual, trying to work it out, is actually we need to reconcile and bring it back to God and say, actually, you paid the price for this. I've been um, sinned against big time um, in, um, in my work kind of life and the individual who did it was a Christian um, and, it, you know, kind of it's still, I believe God has dealt with it in my life but it's still kind of, I still think about it and you think it's, it's still there because of kind of the circles I run in. I kind of, I'm confronted with it. And actually, but the, the reality is the punishment for that crime has been poured out on Jesus. The same way the punishment for my sins for which you need to forgive me has been poured out on Christ. And so actually, we need to go back to God in this process and actually recognise it's been paid. It's been paid for. And that means the forgiveness I need to give or you need to give to me has actually ultimately been paid for in Christ. And that's a hard process when you're on the receiving end of something that you think justice must be wrought in this situation. There must be punishment because evil was done. And God said, yes, there was. And I punished my son in the place of that. And then once you kind of go through that process of prayer, actually we need to walk, into, we need to walk in it. And depending on what it is, depending on how long that takes and how far it is. The greater the offence, the bigger the problem, the more it seems to walk in it. It's almost forgiveness is, a, is an act and a process. You forgive and then you, you keep going, you keep walking in it. Um, and many of you know what that's like, but actually for me, I've had to keep walking in forgiveness over the same thing um, to remind myself what God has done in my life and in that individual's life and with the situation. That God has paid for it, God has dealt with it, and we are to walk free in that. All right, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get the kids in and we're going to worship Jesus together. Lord God, I want to thank you for the church. Lord, I want to thank you for this body you've created, this unity you've created, this one new man that you've created, that we all stand before you, um, level at the foot of the cross, all forgiven sinners. Um, We love you, Lord. We thank you that we have been transformed, that we have this new set of clothes to to wear, this new path to walk in, this uh, model of you to follow. Lord, and I thank you that you haven't left us alone there, Lord. You've given us someone to imitate in Christ. You've given the spirit in us that transforms us as we walk forward. And I say, God, ask us now, help us do that, Lord. Help us to speak truthfully, to deal with anger in our own lives, to share kind of what we have, to build one another up in our speech, actually actively try and build one another up, make them bigger in you, Lord, and to forgive others um, as we have been forgiven, as we are a forgiven people. Lord, I want to say I love you, I praise you, you are wonderful, uh, you are glorious. Amen.